Ethan's Pilot. What I might say to 19-year-old Ethan in his first year at uni, uh, well, I wouldn't say anything. I'd probably just give him a big hug and say, keep having so much fun doing what you're doing. Hey, this is episode two of what I might say uh, to my younger self, and more importantly, what they might say to me. This is a really handy place to give yourself advice and maybe to get some if you were ever to go back in time and uh, meet your younger self. In the last episode, I talked about taking a gap year, doing a full-time job before I started my degree in sound. And I'm going to fast forward about six months where I am now doing sound and radio at university. And I got one of my first proper radio assignments, and that was to conduct an interview. This was a really interesting one because we were given portable recorders and we were told to go out and essentially find a story. So we were being our own journalists. You know, that was pretty exciting for me. The only thing that came to my mind with audio production was music. So to go out there and just... um, record someone talking and, you know, making a story out of that was really cool. But I really sort of struggled to click with the assignment, I think, because I got a bit flustered because they said, right, you need to go and find a really interesting person, someone of high profile, and go and get a really interesting, hard-hitting story. I don't want to just hear about your mum or your this, or that. Go find someone with some stature, someone like the mayor of Fremantle, for example. And when he said that and just sort of said, oh, the mayor of Fremantle, for example, I was like, oh, man, you're expecting us to go and, like, find someone who's really high profile in the community and do a proper story and try and get access to this person as some 19-year-old codger with a little microphone saying, hey, can you record this story for me for my assignment? (laughs) I suppose if you're daring enough and, you know, looking in hindsight now, if you're extroverted enough to go shoot an email to someone or pick up a phone, that's not really that daunting of a task. I've definitely gotten a lot better at that over the years. I have that skill now at the time. The idea of going and chasing down like a football player or a mayor or like a president of a company or something like that was like, oh my, how am I going to do that? I'm not going to be able to find someone that cool. But I wanted to do well and I wanted to get the marks and I knew that that was the priority to get someone really important. Keeping in mind as well, I didn't have a car. I didn't know my way around Perth that well because I hadn't been there very long. So I was like, okay, How can I find someone that's really important, has an incredible story to tell and is probably on campus, I can just go and walk over and say good day to them. So what are some of the big organisations around here? Um, You've got the societies, you've got the clubs, you've got these sort of um, big organisations within the uni that do their own thing. And I was seeing a lot of flies around the place for the, um, I believe, I think it was the Christian Society. I just saw they had a lot of activity on campus and I was like, oh, maybe that might be worth um, investigating and I found out the name of the head chaplain and I was like, oh, there we go. There's our high stature. They are the head of an organisation on campus. That's it. I think we found someone. So I shot them an email. It was far less intimidating than the mayor of Perth or Fremantle or something like that, but they still fit a criteria that I was looking for. 
I went and spoke with them and I kind of um, didn't think about the rest of it. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is sort of going to be an interview about Christianity, about faith. I'm not really a religious or spiritual person to that extent, so I've got to try and find a way to be interested about this. I was like, okay, um, what do you do on campus? That line of questioning died pretty quickly, and then we got on to sort of bigger stuff, you know, like spirituality and why you believe in it and stuff like that, and that sort of got a bit convoluted. And we spoke for about 10 minutes, and it went pretty well, and we shook hands and left, and um, I went to go and edit it. And when I did, I sort of realised, oh, I can't really hear a story. So I don't really know what I can do with this. But at the end of the day, I got a piece of music and I edited this interview and I made this lovely five-minute piece. It took me a week when it really should have taken me two hours, but we'll get to that. And I got like a – I'm not sure if I actually passed that assessment. <laughs> I didn't get a very good mark because I got someone of high stature, but I didn't tell a very good story. And there are people out there that, um, you know, probably got a mum or a dad or a sister or a friend who had a way more interesting story and probably ended up getting a higher mark than me. There are a few pieces of advice I'd love to give that person who, prob- who actually failed for the first time at uni. The first piece of advice would be that the story is more important, I think. There are a lot of people on this planet who have lived incredible lives, done amazing things, felt really deep emotions, but they're just like the rest of us and you would never find them unless you went looking. Just because they're not in charge of an organisation or they're not running a community or they're not making millions of dollars doesn't mean they haven't got anything important to say. So how I tend to approach things now when I'm making content or trying to tell stories, I think first, what story do I want to tell? How do I want to tell that story? Do I want it to be humorous? Do I want it to be dramatic? Do I want it to be authentic? They're the parameters that I want to have control of first, because I can then visualize what this project might look like from start to finish. And then I can think about who I want to say those words Who is capable of telling that story? And that's the important thing that I think is worth learning in a moment like that where you're chasing the person before the story. I could have really gone the other way and gone, well, what am I really passionate about and what kind of person would help me tell that story? I think I would have had a lot more success with that and I might have probably made a lot more interesting content a lot sooner. So that's the first piece of advice. And then I think the second piece of advice would be um, just have a crack. I was intimidated thinking I can't just um, approach people that are very busy or don't see me as important because they won't get back to me and there's no point. I'm just a student making an assignment. I'm not, um, you know, a big media company offering to share their story with hundreds and thousands of people. That's too much responsibility for me to take on in that moment because I'm not trying to think about my place in this story. I'm just trying to think about this story. What I should really be thinking about is this person would be great. 
to help me tell this story, to make this idea come to life. There is no harm in me emailing that person and being pleasantly surprised when they respond with enthusiasm because while I didn't have the courage to do this at this time or a little bit later, there were people shooting out messages to um, celebrities and lead singers of bands and stuff and they were getting responses. So it had nothing to do with the fact that, um, you know, we were only students. It's just people knocked on the door and sometimes people answer the door. And I've noticed that a lot now. I don't hesitate as much when I'm trying to send emails. I don't think, oh, they're probably too busy or too important or I'm too inferior to even justify reaching out to this person to ask for help or to collaborate on a project. And I think to myself, well, I may as well ask because chances are they might surprise me. And every time I have, it either goes one or two ways. It's either you don't really get much and that's okay. You don't really feel like it's the end of the world. Um, but then you get the other option, which is a huge high five and excitement and, oh, thanks for reaching out. I'd love to help or I'd love you to do this with me. And you get really excited and the dopamine rush of reaching out to someone and having them genuinely want to connect with you is is worth the chase. And I feel like that is something worth instilling on a young person like that who's who feels small in the world and if they just had the confidence could be a bit bigger and expand their network much earlier on in their career. And the advice they give to me, use all the time you have. This is a really interesting workflow to me now. Um, I did this interview on a Friday and it was due the next Friday. So I had a week to do it and it was my last assignment. I had no more like schoolwork to do, all I had left was this one interview to do. And I thought to myself, okay, I have two options here. I can spend a whole day on this and smash it out and um, be completely done. Or I can spend a lot of time on this each day and spend way longer than I need to trying to hone what I have, which I know isn't the best but I can spend a heap of time on this over a few days and learn as much as I can from it, hone it as much as I can and not be completely overwhelmed by this task. So instead of spending four hours on it on a Monday, I would spend um, maybe an hour and a half to two hours on it every day, Monday to Friday in the morning, and then I'd have the rest of the day off. So what it meant was I'd spend a lot longer than usual working on this thing and trying to craft it and trying different things. And then after a few hours ago, I've run out of ideas, but I've got till Friday. I'm going to leave now and go and have fun for the rest of the day. And of course, it's a lot easier to do that when you're at uni, but it made that challenge a lot less daunting because I wasn't trying to smash out this thing that wasn't going to work at the 11th hour. I kind of knew I couldn't save it that well, but I could spend ages on it every day and get it to a point where I feel like I'm at least doing the best I can for it and learning what's going right and wrong by being exposed to it longer than usual. Because if I tried to work on that now, it'd probably take me 10 minutes to cut together because I'm experienced and I've been doing this for ages. But because that was the first time I'd done it, I was like, okay, I've got all this time. 
I'm going to use it all and just extract as much as I can from this assignment, even though it's not going as well as I want it to. Because I've worked in radio and it's quite a fast-paced environment and sometimes, you know, projects are needed very quickly with a very tight turnaround, you sort of get into this headspace of, oh, I've got to get this done quickly because that's what's really valued. And you get very good at working quickly and making a good product, but what I hear a lot of people do is they'll work on something and they'll sit on it for a night and then they'll come back to it with fresh ears and go, oh, maybe I could try this instead or this instead and then they'll try that and maybe sit on it again for another night and they're very patient with when the final product gets its final seal of approval. What I admire is the is a lot of people's ability to go in and spend a long time doing a smaller amount on something and letting the idea sit and resonate and stew within themselves to see how much more they can add to it, how much further the project can go, how much more flexible and malleable it is. And I think that's something that uh, that, that young person could remind me to do a lot more often than I do. I think my younger self would want me to relive the day I decided to just walk away and come back to it the next day. So, you know, um, Ethan, when you get a chance, uh, do two hours of work and then, you know, put the tools down then jump in the car and drive for two hours, preferably with a couple of mates listening to a podcast or some music or something. Remember, you're heading to a retro game store to pick up a few vintage games and then bring them back home, of course, pull out the old PlayStation 2 and just spend the rest of the day playing Spyro. It's going to be great. That's a day I remember so vividly and I can't wait for the day that I get a project where I can just put it off for a little bit and go and do that because I think it would really help me. <laughs> anyway, that's it for now. Uh, leave a review, follow along and we'll see you next time.